0: Welcome to the Girl Gang Craft Podcast, where we dive in deep to all things business, wellness, creativity, and activism for artists and entrepreneurs. We talk with impactful, female driven companies and founders for an inside look at the entrepreneurial experience, where you'll come away with tangible steps to elevate your business. Are you ready? I'm your host, Phoebe Sherman, founder of Girl Gang Craft, artist and designer and marketing obsessed. We're here to learn together how to expand our revenue implement new organizational techniques and cultivate best business practices as we work towards creating a life doing what we love let's get started hey creatives before we get started today with this wonderful interview I want to mention that our spring craft fairs are now collecting applications for vendors, right? So that's Oakland, as usual, May 7th, Oakland, Scottish Rite, and Salem, Massachusetts, May 22nd. So this is at Old Town Hall and Derby Square. So we're really excited to come to Salem, Massachusetts, my new town. So we're looking for people in the area to come vend. You can start applying now and we're very excited. We're looking for Femme Forward Makers, but also if you're a service-based business who wants to participate in our craft fair, if you've been to our craft fairs, you know that they are full of magic and good vibes and amazing small businesses. And it's a good time as both a vendor and an attendee, we want to make our booth fees affordable And we're really excited. So if you're ready to come vend with us, you can go ahead and apply girlgangcraft.com slash apply dash Oakland or apply dash Salem, or you can just go on to girlgangcraft.com slash events, and you can find more info there. Really excited to be in Salem, Massachusetts. Really excited to be back in person, period, for a spring craft fair. So Seriously can't wait. And we're inviting you to come vent. Hello, creatives. Welcome to Girl Gang Craft the podcast. Super excited today. We have Dr. Akila Kade on the podcast. She's amazing. And I'll let her introduce herself. But if you've been, you know, in the Bay Area, you've probably heard of her. Take it away. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Well, Phoebe, thank you for having me. My name is Dr. Akilah Kadeh. I'm the founder and CEO of Change Kadeh. We're an organizational development consulting firm, and we happen to be pretty great at diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and anti-racism. I am known as the Olivia Pope of diversity in the workplace because I handle shit and fix shit and get it done. My company is here in Oakland, California, and my baby is seven years old. So we work with million billion dollar companies around the world, brands, we work with small businesses, we work with nonprofits, we're everywhere because discrimination doesn't discriminate. And we are on a mission to dismantle white supremacy, but also to create cultures of belonging. We spend so much time at work. So if we can make work a better place, we're there to do it. But in addition to being a CEO and founder of this company, I'm also do creative. Stuff. I model. I also have a podcast as well. I'm a, a sensitivity editor. So I edit books that come out for a publication from big publishers to make sure that they are inclusive. I'm a speaker and I'm sure I'm forgetting other things that I do, but I do a lot. But yeah, that is me in a nutshell.
0: I love it. So you're busy. <laughs> yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. hmm mm-hmm. <laughs> So, you know, how did you get into all of this? What led to owning your own company and juggling so many sort of passions within that umbrella, if you will? So it's not
1: a surprise to anyone that as a Black woman I experienced discrimination and harassment and bullying and unfair treatment in traditional nine to five spaces. And there was an incident that helped me realize that I probably should do my own thing. So I was in a one-on-one meeting with my supervisor, a white male, and it was in my newer job. It was my first doctoral level position job. I was an executive, top floor, views of the bay. For those of you who are in cities, I had like a 10 minute commute in my car with free parking. So it was like the best of what you would want. <laughs> in a populous place. And so we're in this one-on-one meeting and he looked at me and said, I didn't think you were that smart when I interviewed you, but you are smart. And I kind of looked at him like, what? And so me being me, I'm like, well, you know, at that time I had 15 years of experience. I came from an organization that was three times that size. I knew what I was doing. It was transparent that I have a doctorate, the position required doctorate. I was very confused. I'm like, why would you say that? And he said, oh, I guess that's offensive. I'm sorry. And I said, well, I'm gonna have to rebuild my trust with you because that was hurtful. And he fired me the next week. That's how we rebuilt trust. And so I was in this position where I was like, what? (laughs) What just happened? I'd never been fired before. I used to work in healthcare and public health. I've been laid off several times, but fired was a new feeling for me. So I was reflecting on my career and I noticed that And this job, this white guy did this thing. And this other job, someone else of power did this thing. And there was this pattern of me not being good enough because either it was black or a woman or a black woman or likable or pretty or whatever these things were that made me feel less than And so as I reflected on that, I realized this side hustle, Change Today started as a side hustle to see if people would pay me as a pretend doctor while I was
0: in school, that maybe this is my thing.
1: And then I've been leaning into it for seven years now. So,
0: So, okay. Business side of things first, since a lot of our community is a business podcast or business owners. So how did you start to sort of curate your offerings, if you will? Like, how did you decide who to help and how to help them and what to charge and what that even looks like?
1: Oh, absolutely. So I started in my second to last nine to five job, I started Change Today. And I always recommend the best way to start a business is what brings you joy? What do you feel confident and good at? Because that removes some of the barriers of the other stuff you will eventually do, but it helps build the muscle for, you know being a solo entrepreneur or building a business entrepreneur, whatever you want to call yourself. And so that's what I did. So I was doing a lot of public health work at the time. So I'm like, I could probably do someone's needs assessment. I could probably maybe do some coaching. I don't know. Maybe I can do some curriculum design, like things that I had done before. And that's what I marketed myself as and got more experience. Eventually people were like, can you do this? And I was like, sure. Not knowing how to do it or maybe not having that much experience, but, How to Google to figure things out. I knew how to ask questions. So that's how I started to build out my work. And then, as far as pricing, when people are going from a nine to five space into a side hustle or full time, just kind of do math. So, what do you need to live? And the way to figure out what you need to live is what are you making in this nine to five space? Break it all the way down to the hourly rate and then times it by like three or five, depending on your field and what you're in and the expertise that you have. So do that. And now you have an hourly rate. From there, you can figure out what a project rate may be and vice versa. And you experiment with that. So I highly recommend doing that. Then what a lot of people don't do, particularly women, particularly BIPOC, black, indigenous people of color, is that you have to raise your rates every year. Every year, because the stuff that you're doing, the paper you may be printing for the thing or the earrings that you're putting together, whatever it may be, those costs go up too. So you have to remember to increase those costs. And then when it comes down to actually working with clients or folks who are providing more services to start high, because you can always go low. You can't go low and go up high. So start high and then you can always negotiate. Then it shows the client that you really want to work with them. You can build your portfolio, blah, 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 do that whole thing. But don't be afraid to go in there and get the money that you deserve. So today, as we look at change today, like it started with needs assessments and like a public health type of focus, because I had so much experience in the healthcare world. So now we work with beverage brands, beauty brands, probably some of your favorite products. I did that with Acknowledging a transferable skill set. So that's the other thing too. Like what can you do? What transfers over into other spaces? And so we provide executive coaching, we provide strategy work, we talk a lot, we do workshops, and then we problem solve. And we're able to do this. And I'm able to provide these four primary buckets through trial and error, adjusting costs, and figuring out the demand of the market of what is needed.
0: I love all this as a Virgo, love your systems. But I think the math thing is really important, like actually taking the time to do the math, because I know a lot of us when starting side hustles, we're just like, let's see how much money we can make. Like, let's just sort of start gathering money into our pool here and myself included. And I think being really strategic about how you're sort of like working backwards from your goal in a tangible way, especially if you're service-based, right? I mean, even if you're product-based too, you can break it down this way too with cost of materials and cost of your times. I think that's really doable and a great system. I love that you said raising prices once a year because exactly. I think people forget that. And I think as a service-based business or a product-based business, we forget to raise our prices every year and we get scared to raise our prices. We get scared that people aren't going to want to pay those things But if they're already your client and that's what you're worth and your work, you know, is solid, then people, you're gonna attract the people that you are meant to attract. And just backing up a little bit too, with the going for the higher price always, absolutely. You know, sometimes it's just like, let's just put a number out there and see if they bite. And especially, I mean, you specifically are working with, you know, larger companies that have huge budgets. And I know a lot of people listening are, you know, working with various kind of clientels, people who can, you never know what their budget's going to be. So if you aim high, you can always negotiate. And I think that's really valuable advice. So thank you for that.
1: Well, I don't always work with folks who have expansive budgets. Like if we work with the nonprofit, we may provide a discount or honestly, because it's my company, if it's something we really believe in, we can find a way to make it work right? Because of the people or the product or the company, whatever organization, we can find a way to make it work. But it's really more so setting ourselves up for success that a lot of people forget. And then for those who are doing a service or product and have employees, you have a cost of living adjustment to factor in too. So you can't have the same Right. Unless you have a bonus model or something, another way to compensate for the inflation that we're all dealing with. Like that also has to be considered as well as those who are growing, expanding and scaling.
0: Yes, absolutely. So when you started to start your business, who did you look for as clientele and how did you reach them?
1: Yeah. So I'm proud to say that I've never advertised my business. It's all just word of mouth. And that's the best compliment you can ever get for any type of business that people are like, you need to talk to them. You need to talk to her. So I started with my network and my network at that time was very healthcare driven, very public health driven, like I'm available. So I would reach out to folks and say like, Hey, if you need anything, I'm available now. I have capacity, you know, to do X, Y, and Z. So those little things that I did turned into one thing to another thing to larger things. Those things also turned into speaking engagements too. Such a wonderful way, regardless if it's a product or service, like talking about your brand, being passionate about your brand as the leader, as a representative of the brand company organization, all of that is a wonderful way to bring in clients, you know, either to purchase or to partner or contract with. And so that's what I would do. And so, you know, when I first went full-time into my business, it was 2016. So just that was my daily life. I did free conferences. I don't highly recommend speaking for free, but I knew that was a way to gain exposure. So I was like paying for the flight, paying for the hotel, but knew that the reach there could turn into something else, which it did. I was able to bring in you know, clients that way. So I did that. I also would figure out someone's problem and you know, reach out to them. Still in my network, but it's like, I'm seeing X, Y, and Z thing as a deficit, whatever it is. I can help you with that deficit. I can be the solve for that problem. You can't hire an employee, but guess what? I can do that. You can't whatever I could do that. We could do that. And so that's how I was able to slowly grow from there.
0: Okay. Just a languaging thing. How would you reach out to someone and say, You know, I see that you have a problem and I can fix it. What is like a way that you would language that?
1: Yeah. So in my space, you know, my doctorate is in leadership and organizational behavior. So I can see when there's a problem, whether it's a problem on social media, I can see a problem on the website. I can see a problem in the media about said company. And if I know someone in that space, I can reach out to say like, Hey, I can see that you have posted things that are inappropriate. You know, and it's not necessarily your fault, but we can help you understand how to move forward with that. Right. It's the same thing for when we think about product brands. Like when you are a product and let's say you're black owned because we're talking during Black History Month, you can reach out to someone to say, I see that you don't have a lot of black owned businesses on your website. Would you like to add my product there? I see you don't have a lot of black owned things in your store Can we do a trial to see how that goes, right? So again, it's a solve because what we do know, particularly now since the murder of George Floyd, there are folks who are more open to partnering with black people, right? We can say the same thing for AAPI issues, Asian American Pacific Islander, right? There's more willingness there because of what's happening in society. And so that's how you can go in and solve problems. You're not gonna go in there and say, I'm great, you suck, you need me. You know, you're not gonna do that. You're gonna use a managing up approach or technique to solve, And then also not being afraid to circle back to clients that you may not have a relationship with anymore and doing the same thing. It's like, hey, I see X, Y, and Z. If you need us, let me know. You know, that type of thing also works as well. Hey, let's do it again for Black History Month next year. Or you know what? We can keep this going for Women's History Month because it's a Black-owned women's business. Those are the solves that I'm talking about and the language that could be used.
0: So on a practical level, would you say that outreach is a big part of your business still, or maybe just more at the beginning? No, it's not just because of the demand,
1: (laughs) but now it's, we have a lot of inbound that comes in. So we aren't doing a lot of outbound, but in the beginning I had to, to build the business because again, I had to get back to my magic number of X amount of dollars. I needed to pay bills, eat food, you know, pay rent, that type of thing. But now that that has paid off word of mouth does it itself. So someone may say, hey, you need to follow Change Today on Instagram. And then all of a sudden they're like, hey, can you come do a talk? And that talk may turn into strategy work or it may turn into a partnership or something else, right? There's so many different things that we do, but I understand that's a very privileged approach to be in a position where there is demand. And so I just would encourage people who feel like they're doing a lot of outbound, outbound and outreach that it is only temporary right? So if you have a brand vision statement mission that's aligned, your product is aligned with who you are as a brand, your services are aligned with who you are as a brand. So actions and words are matching. That authenticity comes through and then people link onto that. They latch onto it. They're excited about it and more comes as a result. So sometimes it's just really getting those pieces together so that it makes sense. Mm
0: -hmm. And even
1: though I'm a successful person, there's still times where I'm like, WTF. It's the start of the year. Who's the big client? Who are the big clients? What's going to happen? How am I going to pay people? We have to pay people. I have a team six. I have to buy, you know, all of that stuff still comes up. Even folks from on the outside may think that, you know, change today has it all together.
0: So how did you know when to quit your nine to fives? I didn't,
1: I didn't quit my nine to five. I was fired. So oh, for me, right, right. it was the previous job. I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder because of discrimination and bullying and harassment and my health was more important than going back into a potentially toxic environment and another nine to five space. Because when I did that reflection upon being fired, there was this pattern again of me not being good enough. But the funny thing of these folks who told me I was not good enough or threatened by me is that, you know, here I am doing successful things and Forbes this and a list here and like things that confirm the work that I was doing in those spaces, but I was just in the wrong place. So what I'll say is the plan was to work in the job where I was fired for about two years to one rest and chill. I did my doctoral program full time. My doctoral program was four to seven years. I did it in three years and I worked full time while doing that. So I was a mess. I was tired. I just wanted to like have paid vacation and just make six figures. Like that's all I wanted to do and like kind of solve problems that really just like rest. I just wanted to rest. But that was taken away from me because I was only there for about three months and I was put in a position to figure out how to make something work. So ideally, my plan was to save to get to a point where I had what I needed to live for about six months and then go on because I knew within six months I could bring in money within three months you know, to make it work. Since I was fired and also fired illegally, which is very fun, my unemployment didn't come on time. It took about three months for my unemployment to come. I made a choice to cash out about 95% of my retirement because as someone who didn't have a job, I couldn't get a business loan because I couldn't prove that I could pay the loan back. I'm also a black person. So there's other discrimination that happens as a result of getting a business loan. So the most cost-effective thing for me was to just eat the taxes, pay the taxes and cash out my retirement. But that was The check was sent to the wrong place with the right name, or sent to the right place in the wrong name on the check. So that was something that happened for three months. So essentially, I lived off of my pantry and my freezer. And a week after I was fired, it was my birthday. So I asked for grocery store gift cards and I made it work for about three months. And then it was like mid December, and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to pay rent this month. I do not know what I'm going to do. But I believe in spirits, powers, and energy, and something just told me to get my mailbox. So I went to my mailbox, and in there was all the back pay for unemployment, as well as my retirement check that was sent to the right place and the right name. So I was able to deposit that check. I was able to order a burrito on whatever delivery service because I hadn't been able to order food. And the next day, I went and got Christmas gifts. I celebrate Christmas for my younger siblings because that was also bothering me, but it gave me about eight months of a runway to start to build without the pressure of life and the life expenses. So that gave me some time. In December, I applied to an RFP, a request for proposal for a county later that month. And then mid-January, I went from no money in my business to a quarter of a million dollars with a contract. I was able to contracts. I was able to get literally within the day of each other. And then I was like, okay, I made it. And I was able to start to hire people and build from there.
0: Mm, thank you for sharing all that. <laughs> Quite a journey in a short period of time.
1: Yeah. But I mean, I'm a hustler and I'm someone who is driven by when people are telling me I'm less than. I'm just like, no, I'm not. You'll see, you
0: know? So that helps on
1: the the difficult nights.
0: So how did it feel hiring your team? What did that process look like? And how did it feel to hire people for this business?
1: Well, it never ends. You're always hiring people (laughs) because if you are an effective leader, if you're an effective boss, then you're prepared for folks to leave you because you want them to continually grow. And ultimately I won't be able to provide everyone on my team what they want, which is fine. And I'm really into that. So if I can support them where they're going, that's fine. Hiring people, you know, it was kind of like who was around me and who was available when I first started. I've definitely hired friends. I don't recommend doing that. But in the moment, it's something that worked well. But eventually, I was able to get to a point where I had a pretty strong team, which I enjoyed. But then the pandemic hit. And the murder of George Floyd happened and that the demand of my business was through the roof. So I had to scale really fast to bring people in. And it was a very interesting experience because again, you wanted to meet the demand, but then you also didn't know how long the demand was going to stay. And then it's like, well, maybe I'll just do some contractors. Well, actually, no, no, no. I'm going to need some employees. So kind of figuring out what the best process would be. And then I was like, oh, I need to be an employee. I was an employee man, my embassy, you know, kind of just figuring all this stuff out to make it work. But hiring your team is something that is always continuous. So what I always recommend for folks is that who do you need for your core? As the leader of the company, whatever it is, who do you need to help you be your most inclusive, thoughtful, considerate, dedicated leader? So For me, it's my chief of staff and my chief strategy officer. So they're the core. I mean, I have a wonderful team. Everyone on my team is fantastic, but one person tells me what to do. And then the other person tells me what to do, but different things of what they're telling me what to do. Right. And so when that happens, it allows for me to be my best self and also to identify gaps for when things happen in the future of what is needed, either a contractor or, you know, another position that's coming in.
0: Taking a quick pause in our episode to talk about tech we love. So here's a question for all our small biz owners tuning in. What would you do if Instagram shut down indefinitely? Have you built up your email list so that no matter what happens, you have a way of communicating with your audience? Seriously, I've had friends get hacked. I've had friends get banned. Who knows how Instagram is doing with the rise of TikTok and everything else. So we can't rely on this platform for our entire business. Email is key. You want to serve your community in their own inbox. So if you're ready to grow your list and refine your email strategy, check out Flowdesk. So that's what we use at GGC. They are women run and SF based. If you sign up through us, you'll get 50% off your first year subscription and that's only $19 a month. So super affordable. Flowdesk offers gorgeous, easy to use templates that take the guesswork out of design. So you can focus on serving your audience right in their inbox. Look no further for effortless list management, including segmentation, opt-out preferences, workflow automations, and more. This is key to running funnels, and having a successful infrastructure to manage your subscribers. So get unlimited emails and subscribers for only $19 a month for the first year of our subscription. Go to flowdesk.com slash c slash ggc2020 or check out our show notes to learn more. So what does your team look like today? Sort of, I mean, have things slow down for you after the pandemic and no. Right. I'm glad that you are still in demand. So have you continued to to scale throughout this whole past few years then?
1: So I made an executive decision because the scaling was too much to stop. Mm. So where we are now, I just staffed up in January. So where we are now is what it will be probably for a while. I can't say forever because there's always opportunities that are coming about and I'm always happy and open for that change. Why change isn't the title of our business, but Good for now. The demand has not stopped. But again, when we were talking about earlier, when you think about your pricing structure, your prices can still go up and you can still kind of bring in the same, but just have some control of how much is being done. Also, even though we're a team, I am a public figure. So people want me And I can't be everywhere all the time. So we've just decided to kind of cap how much we're doing within our quarters and within the year so that it makes sense for us to have the capacity that we have and to have the team that we have. Because if I'm overworked, then it's not good for the rest of my employees, right? So I have to be able to role model the behavior that they should also have. And we do that by controlling with how much we are doing as far as our partnerships and clients and creative projects.
0: How do you decide what clients to take on? Maybe besides your workload, like what kind of clients do you like to work for? And like, who do you say no to?
1: We say no to racist people. I refuse to work with racist people. I refuse to work with people who aren't open to any type of change. So when we're talking about organizational change or diversity work, it's just change management 101. And so they're already displaying resistance and initial meetings, then it's not for us. I don't care how much money they're going to give us. It's just not worth it. I'm not a dentist. I don't pull teeth never going to do that, right? At all. So there's that. The second thing is we have a dollar amount and I highly recommend this for everyone. If we aren't getting X amount of dollars, we just aren't going to do it because I can't, again, doing the math factor in the time of myself or my employee. If we're in a position where we're losing money, that's my fault. And I'm not going to have that happen. doesn't mean that I won't do pro bono stuff here and there, but that's not worth it because I have to think about the amount of work and the return on investment there and it's not there. So we'll happily say no to those clients. And then we also will say no to clients in which we're in contract with. And so if we're in a position where I am no longer safe, I am no longer supported, or someone on my team is that way, we'll let them know that we have clause in our contract and we'll separate because it's not my job to put myself or my team in situations where we are being traumatized. doesn't mean trauma doesn't happen. But if they aren't open to adjusting that trauma, we aren't going to you know, engage with them because it's not my job to help them understand that they're being discriminatory or racist. It's my job to help be anti-racist. It's my job to help them not be homophobic, xenophobic, you know, racist. Yes, sure. But I'm not going to tell a racist person. I'm not going to work with a racist person. I'm not going to work with someone who doesn't value the expertise that we're bringing in as far as a company or myself. I don't have time for that. So who are your favorite clients to
0: work with?
1: My favorite clients to work with, well, I can't really talk about all my clients, but I can tell you, (laughs) Um, (laughs) I have nothing but secrets in my life, but my favorite clients to work with in general are the executives, the leaders who understand the importance of learning and unlearning, and they use their power and privilege for good. So they're in situations like we're going to make the systemic change. So we have better retention for our employees. We're going to do these things. We're going to require these types of workshops because it ties back to our values for anti-racism. Those are the ones that are great to work with because they're really coming to you for support and kind of high fives and we're just there to validate them. There's not so much heavy lifting. It doesn't mean that I don't like doing the heavy lifting, but it's great to see stuff come to fruition because in this line of work of organizational change and diversity, it takes time. Because it takes so much time, we won't always see the fruits of our own labor or what we're putting you know, into it. But in those cases, we can. And I will say Hill House Home is one of my favorite clients to work with for multiple reasons. Nell Diamond is the epitome of an ideal leader, not just with diversity, but in general, with how she leads her team. And it also helps that there's a dress named after me too. So that works well.
0: <laughs> so switching gears a little bit, let's talk about small businesses and allies, small business owners who want to make sure that they're prioritizing anti-racism. In their business, what are some ways that they can do that? Yeah. And
1: so I will say, size of the business doesn't matter. So, whether it's one person or 100 people, it's all the same thing. And one is realizing that allyship is a waste of time. So, to get rid of the idea of allyship, allyship allows for comfort because it gives permission with how far someone wants to go. So, for example, for those who are in the product space, they may be like super accustomed to having Columbus Day sales. Because Macy's has Columbus Day sales, right? Like, we're going to do Columbus Day sales. Well, it's now Indigenous People's Day. So it's still Columbus Day and Indigenous People's Day. But fun fact, you can't celebrate the oppressed with the oppressor. So that's a whole other subject. But what does it look like to not have a sale that day? What does it look like to move away from the sale model to say, we are going to donate to this Indigenous organization, like 10%, 15%, 20% of sales, or this product will go towards this organization in honor of Indigenous Peoples Day. So when we talk about allyship and comfort, there are people who are just like, no, Columbus Day, people know that's a sale, so that's what I'm going to do. So they can pause and how they're showing up for those who don't have as much power and privilege as them. So it's really, how do you move past allyship to becoming an accomplice? An accomplice is someone who brushes their teeth, they put on their deodorant, and they're checking their bias and privilege all throughout the day. And that's something that's really important for anyone who's in a leadership position. And we're talking about folks who run social media, pricing, product, obviously the CEO, COO, founders, anyone who has external facing, organizational power. These are the ones that need to check their bias and privilege every day. They're in positions where they're going to say, Hey, you know, it's Black History Month. So, yes, we're going to highlight folks for Black History Month, but what can we do throughout the year to highlight Black creatives, partners, products, whatever it is? They're going to the extra mile, meaning that in order to move past allyship and being an accomplice, it's realizing it's not a point of arrival, it's lifelong and it's always happening. And so when that type of change happens, there's more authenticity in the brand, the message,
0: the actions and the words aligning. So you launched a program called The Nudge last year. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so, the Ally Nudge was actually launched in 2020 and it was in partnership with. You um, can't the keep nudge. track
0: of the years anymore. No, the years are hard. It's,
1: it's literally 2020. We all
0: blurred together. Yeah,
1: like T O O, not T W O. It feels the same, right? So, the Nudge is a wonderful kind of like your friend service, like through text messages, they're like, Hey, there's this cool thing happening that we can do together, or you can do something like the Ally Nudge. So we partnered to create the Ally Nudge, which was over a month, people received educational prompts in the morning and the evening a couple times a week to put into action, move past scholarship and put into action of you know, how to be in a position of learning how to be anti-racist or be an accomplice. So it could be a video of me talking about something. It could be a podcast tidbit to read. It could be an article, but it gave me an opportunity to learn something earlier in that day and then figure out ways to practice it throughout the week. Again, building that muscle, brushing teeth, putting on deodorant, checking bias, checking privilege. So we have, my gosh, it's almost about two years. Came out July twenty twenty. So we're getting to almost two years of having that, and people still love it. They love that it's bite sized pieces. They love that it's self paced, and they can do their own thing, which is great. I'm still talking about it, which is wonderful.
0: And you have a new program that is out right now. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So the beauty about the Ally Nudge is that there's just one module there and it's a wonderful start, but we continue the work with the Change Today Action Network. So CAN, C-C-A-N, Change Today Action Network. And it's a little similar in the sense of you can have some text message learning if you want to, but we added self-paced learning. And this was really important for those who were eager, or maybe even a little bit more advanced in the, the text program, so they can know what's next for them. They could go back and revisit content and do it through our educational platform that is available. And then the thing that's really important that a lot of people don't realize is that People are all around the world want to learn how to show up and be a accomplice and be anti-racist. And a lot of stuff is centered in America as a result of that. So by developing our educational platform, there's online tools of getting the same exact content through text message, but not having to have a U.S. number. And so that's really exciting. It's also another way for folks who have different time zones, have so much things going on, whatever it is to be able to do something in a sequence that works for them, opposed to the morning and evening text messages that we send out. Every month, regularly, we'll be putting out new modules, new content. So there's resources. There's one module that's up right now, which is Ways to be Anti-Racist, that continues off the work for anyone who has done the ally nudge to keep that work going, but you'll see things as simple as two or three minutes or as long as 15 minutes that you can watch. You'll see additional modules to continually learn about these terms and phrases that people are questioning and hearing and wanting to learn how to get more expertise into. And then more importantly, I'm going to bring in some friends. So there'll be other content from other amazing experts that are out there as well to have it all centralized in one place. So if you're in a conversation and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't how do I navigate this? You can easily go to our resources tab and find a resource to share with that person, have a richer discussion and not feel like you always have to be in a position, particularly for BIPOC people to educate someone else. You can give them what they need to have a richer discussion. So that's can. So we've asked the question, what can you do in general? What can you do today? And we're giving you tools so you can do a lot to be
0: anti-racist. How can we sign up for this? So you can go to the website and go to the
1: change today website and sign up. You can go to at change today and sign up, or you can go to action at, Ooh, wait, this is new action at change today. I should know these things, but <laughs> we just launched yesterday. So com. So the word action, the word change today,
0: C-A-D-E-T.com. And we will also put that link on our show notes, etc. So how do you stay, how do you like keep yourself creative? How are you sort of coming up with these new ideas that fuels your community and fuels you? Yeah. Well, I don't limit myself
1: because going back to the box analogy, I was in boxes and a lot of places were trying to fit in boxes that didn't work for me. So I allow myself to go where I'm inspired. I allow myself to go where I feel like there's opportunity to create and not to be limitless as much as possible. So one thing that I do is an opportunities of partnerships. I always think about ways to be creative. So one of my clients is Lululemon. I've been working with Lululemon for a few years, but a year and a half ago, I became a Lululemon ambassador as well. But this year, I'm proud to say I'm one of their six partners in the country to celebrate Black History Month. And so I have this really cool opportunity to do a few things and one of those things is to introduce our inaugural Well and in Black Brunch, and this is celebrating Black people from the wellness health space all the way down to the creative space, entrepreneurs, those who are in nine to five spaces, and mixing and mingling Black folks who may have a network and who may not have a network to just have a moment to connect with people who are potentially like-minded, future partners, future clients, who knows, but to be in a position where they're celebrated. We see so many things that allow for accolades for white people all the time. We don't see that so much for black people. And so I talk about this partnership because Lululemon has a hundred percent faith, trust, and belief in me to curate content that you're like, but what does that have to do with yoga pants? Nothing except for Understanding that there's value in the Black community and Lululemon wants to invest in that. If it equates to someone buying leggings, great, but it doesn't need to because there's that celebration that's there. And so it's fun to kind of do these events and put things together. It's fun to find other ways to connect to things that bring me joy. And I do that selfishly, I do that with intent, and I do that on purpose because leading a company is not easy. I'm sure a lot of listeners know that. But it's also important for me to do things that I feel seen in, I feel valued in, because I'm dealing with a lot of white spaces, right? And so that's how I kind of keep things fresh for me as much as possible. I write a lot too. So I write in different places. That helps as well. I love doing interviews like this to kind of just talk and motivate and inspire folks as much as possible. Not that that's necessarily my goal, but if it helps, great. You know, it's all about speaking my truth and seeing how it lands.
0: And then sort of maybe a similar side of the same coin, rest. How do you rest? How do you take care of yourself throughout all this?
1: Right now, I'm not <laughs> doing a great job because it's Black History Month. So for some of your listeners, you they may or may not understand this. The way white supremacy works and white dominant culture works is that there's an insane amount of interest in me and my company during Black History Month. And so we have to always think, and I have to always think like, how much are we going to do? How much am I going to commit into doing Black History Month activities, fireside chats, keynotes, talks, interviews, podcasts, the list goes on and on and on. But the other side of that coin to use your analogy is that if I don't do this, then I'm not setting my business up for continuous success because so much emphasis is here. So the one fireside chat I do can turn into multiple different projects, depending on, you know, if how big the company is, or if it's internal external whatever it may be. So this is not a good month for me. Next month is also not a good month for me because I'm a black woman and I'm also disabled. So then folks want to hear my perspective as well. But outside of February, March, my rest tends to be having boundaries with how much time I work. I only have meetings three days a week, Tuesday through Thursday. Monday, I only have internal meetings with my team so I can wear whatever I want. I can be in a robe if I want to, which I like. And then Fridays, I don't have meetings at all. So it's a way for me to take care of my health. As I mentioned, I live with disabilities, so I have lots of appointments. I have lots of things I need to do to keep it all together. So I'll do that. I love a good trashy show. So I'm real housewives of lots of things that I will get into. Atomic, Atlanta, Salt Lake City, my Jam's. And I'll just be able to decompress there. But it's really hard to be in a position to rest just because there's so many additional barriers that I have is a Black disabled woman who owns a business. There's always a feeling that is in the back of my head of like, well, when will people no longer be entrusted in change today? And I don't wish that on anyone because I'm not selling a product and literally selling a service, selling me when it comes down to it. And so it's another reason why I'm always diversifying what we're doing just to plan for that day if, you know, and when it happens.
0: Who inspires you? Maybe inside your niche or outside of your niche. Who do you look for for inspiration or look to?
1: The person I look to for inspiration, anyone could easily figure this out is Beyonce Giselle Knowles Carter. So people are like, "Oh, you know, her music or clothes, no, it's not that. It's The way she operates as a leader that I'm really into. We're also a year and two days apart. So I feel and see a lot of myself there, a lot of Virgo energy, but she's her true authentic self, which is really powerful for black women to be. She has multiple different points of businesses and has created an empire. She's not afraid to say no. She's not afraid to be direct. She's not afraid to make changes and has done things that have changed the way things are done. Beyonce was the first person to say, surprise, album is happening. And now other people are emulating that. Think about what it's done for streaming and the list goes on and on and on. So being someone who is an innovator is incredibly motivating, inspirational. I feel like we're in a friendly competition and she's like winning right now, but then eventually I'll <laughs> you know, get into some spot. But you know, if you think about something like Homecoming, not only was that profound. And I was also there on weekend one, which I'm very happy about. I know really wonderful, really, really cool. There, there. I always talk about this when she's saying lift every voice and sing, which is the black national anthem, old Negro spiritual. It's lots of different things. When I looked around the audience, there were so many white people who didn't know what was happening. They're like, Oh my gosh, is this a new song. But in that moment, it was something for us, by us, meaning for Black people, only Black people by Black people, we call it Fubu, right? Also, a clothing company. But to have that much power and privilege and to say, I'm doing a show specifically for Black people is incredibly powerful. And so I look to emulate those things. And also, fun fact I held her hand in May 2016, because I was at the Formation World Tour. And I was like near the stage or whatever. So it was very cool. But then I was like, oh shit, I have the power of Beyonce. What am I going to do with this? And then I went full-time into my business in September, 2016. And so I've been using it, you know, ever since.
0: So there you go. I love that. I love that exchange or sharing of power. I think that's beautiful. Okay. So this has been amazing. Where can people find you? So people can find me at change today. So
1: the word change C A D E T on social media. It is me. I, if you send me a message, I will reply back to you. I still run my social media at some point, maybe not, but for now I like to have that touch point. You can go to change today, the website. And then of course, for those who are interested in can change today, action network, action.changecaday.com and you can sign up to learn and unlearn.
0: And you also have some clothing items, don't you? Do I? Yep, I do. I'm
1: (laughs) wearing one right now, Keeping Amazing. Yeah, I have sweaters and t-shirts that are available on the website. You can go in the shop tab. Those purchases support my free education. I'm providing primarily between Instagram and LinkedIn. And then you can have a fun message like Keeping Amazing, do the
0: work, or my love language is dismantling white supremacy, which is
1: my love language. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me, Phoebe. Before we end this episode, we want to leave you with a message from our friend and community member, Stephanie. So are you looking for a job or are you a small business owner? That is looking to hire? Stephanie Seymour is an experienced recruiter turned career coach for her own company, Elevate Your Career. With this background, she uses her insider and recruiter knowledge to help job seekers land their dream job, even in these crazy pandemic times or post pandemic times, right? From the start of their job search with resume coaching to interview preparation and all the way to salary negotiation, she gives her clients the tools to empower themselves to be their best selves and find happiness and new roles. So you can follow Stephanie on Instagram at Elevate Your Career Now or ElevateYourCareerNow.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Girl Gang Craft podcast. Head to GirlGangCraft.com slash podcast for show notes and more. See you next time.